0: Morning. If you would, open up your scriptures to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you would, read along with me, starting verse 10. This is the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Good morning, dear Heavenly Father, Lord God. God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for truth. As we discuss the belt of truth, Lord, and having fastening the belt of truth, God, I, I thank you that you have revealed truth to us. You have revealed yourself and you are truth. Lord, I pray that we seek truth in your word, Lord, that we Fight against the schemes of the devil, Lord, with truth. God, be with us this morning as we talk about false ideologies, Lord, and uh, the schemes of the devil, Lord. Be with us as we live in a culture, Lord, that doesn't recognize you, that doesn't love you, that doesn't recognize truth. God, help us as Christians to shine a light in a dark place, Lord. Be with us this morning in your son's name. Amen. Today we're going to be looking at the belt of truth in this series on spiritual warfare and the armor of God. There's really three points um, of the sermon, and I want to jump right into it because we have a lot to cover this morning. The three points are this. What is truth? There are three questions. What is truth? What are Satan's schemes today? And what is the truth? What is truth? What are Satan's schemes today? And what is the truth. And so let's start with that first question. What is truth? If you would look at verse 14, Ephesians 6 verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Belts are extremely important. In fact, I uh, ride my bike to work or to church here often and get dressed in the back room and have my clothes and my backpack as I come. And there has been times I forgot my belt and realized how important the belt truly is. I've had to call Sarah to come and bring the whole family in my belt. For a Roman soldier, it was extremely important. It held all the armor together. In fact, it's one of the most important, if not the most important, piece of equipment a Roman soldier could have. It showed that a soldier was ready for battle or not. In times of rest, a soldier's belt would be unfastened. But when it was time for battle, he would fasten his belt because it held everything together. It was when he was ready for battle, he would fasten his belt. In a similar way, truth is extremely important in spiritual warfare. Look at verse 14 again. It says this, Stand therefore, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Paul is saying, be ready for battle having fastened the belt of truth, be ready for battle by holding on to truth. The word truth in Greek is aletheia. The word um, is used 109 times in the New Testament, which is a lot for a word in the New Testament. And of course, we see the word truth used throughout the New Testament over and over and over again. So, what is truth? I don't know if we've ever sat down and thought about that question. What is truth? Well, the Bible says God is truth. God is truth. Isaiah 65 verse 16 says, in fact, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. God is truth. Jesus is truth. John fourteen six. Jesus proclaimed, he said, to himself, he said to to them, I am the way and the truth. Jesus is the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In fact, Ephesians 4, 21 says, assuming that you have heard about him, that's Jesus, and we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus and Jesus is truth. The Spirit is truth. John 14, 16 says, and i Will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. In John 16, 13, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Therefore, God, the Trinity, is truth. God is truth. Truth is in God. He is foundational to truth. God is truth. And since God is truth, his word is truth. The Bible is truth. The scriptures are truth. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's the same thing as just saying, Let Christ dwell in you richly, which is the same thing as saying, Let truth dwell in you richly, because Jesus is truth. John 17.17 says this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. So what is truth? I think a biblical definition of truth would go something like this. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, glory, and being of God. Truth is the self-expression of God, and we find this truth in the revelation of God. The Bible is God's self-revelation. That word means reveal. It's him revealing himself to us. And since theology is the study of God, right? Theos means God, ology means study of. Since theology is the study of God, theology is the study of truth. Doctrine is, is truth claims, biblical doctrine. Right? These things are important, theology and doctrine. Again, the Bible's definition of truth would be something that, like this, that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, and glory, and being of God. A philosophical definition of truth, which I think this is a good definition, is that truth is is that which corresponds with reality. It's called the correspondence theory of truth. It's a good definition because reality is what is taught in Scripture. And what is taught in Scripture is the self-expression of God. Therefore, truth is what corresponds with reality. God is truth. Therefore, it's not surprising when a person or a culture rejects God, they're also rejecting truth. They're rejecting truth, and eventually that will lead into absurdity. In fact, if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. This is a passage we go to often, just like Genesis 3. But there are certain passages in Scripture that just have a way of explaining things so well, and this is one of them. If you want to know our culture, in fact... You look at Romans 1.18. It says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I've said this a number of times. That word suppress in Greek is like taking a beach ball or a basketball or something. I like basketball, so that's what we will use. And pushing it underwater, and it's slipping and hitting, and hitting you in the face. It's like, it's like you're trying to do something that's not wanting to be done. Right? Suppressing the truth is unnatural, but that's what we do as men and, and women. And why do we do this? Why do we have a tendency to suppress the truth? Well, it tells us by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In other words, it's because of sin, because of unrighteousness, because we don't like the truth, we have a tendency to suppress it. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. This is unregenerate, unsaved man, but because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This passage is saying that general revelation, that's creation, this is special revelation, but Jesus or God revealing himself in creation tells us two things. One, there is a God, and two, we're not in right standing with him. Look at verse 20 again. It says this, for his invisible attributes, namely... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, it's clear, ever since creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, man is without excuse for not believing. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ephesians 4.18 says something very similar. It says they are darkened in their understanding. And that Greek word for understanding really just means reasoning. They are darkened in their reasoning. Look at verse 21 again. So it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became Fools by not acknowledging God, by not worshiping God, you lose truth and become a fool. Listen, if you reject God, you are rejecting truth. If you reject truth, you are rejecting God because God is truth. Side note, this is the presuppositional argument for the existence of God. Right? Apologetics, this is an apologetic argument. Apologetics is the reason for, for why we believe. It's the defense of the faith. And the presuppositional argument is, is an argument that for the existence of God that says this. The proof of God is that without God, you can't prove anything at all. In other words, if you don't start with God, you can't prove anything at all. and You, you, li- you lose the ability to know truth. Without starting with God, without starting with truth, you are only left with irrationality and absurdity. That's a long argument, and I don't have time to go through it. It would take weeks to go through the presuppositional argument of why that is, but, but I know it's a solid argument. This is how I know it's a solid argument. I've said this before, because we live in a postmodern culture that says we can't know truth. You can't prove anything at all. There is no such thing as objective truth. Postmodern culture is an attack on truth. We don't value truth as a culture. Just watch the news. Truth doesn't matter. Watch the politicians. Truth doesn't matter. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange, look at verse 23. Look at that word exchange. And exchange, the glory of of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. and and Listen to verse 23 again. It says this. They exchanged. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They exchanged God. They exchanged worship of God for earthly things, for false worship. For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things, things of this world for false worship. Man exchanges Look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them up. It's God's judgment. You know what's interesting about this? It's such a just judgment. We say, we don't want you, God. We don't want you, God. And, And God finally judges that person and says, okay, you can have what you want. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged. There's that word again. They exchange. What did they exchange? They exchanged the truth. The truth about God for a lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth. The truth about God for a lie. This is Eve. We went over the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis three last week. Eve exchanged the truth for a lie. Satan came and tempted her. Satan said, "Eat the fruit, right? Don't trust God." The lie was that God is not trustworthy, that God is not loving, that God is holding something back, that God is not good. That's the lie. The truth is God loves Eve. That God, God was good. He is trustworthy. And and Eve exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Every time we sin, we exchange. We exchange the, the glory of God for earthly things. We exchange the truth for a lie. Sin is exchanging the truth for a lie. Listen, it's either Jesus or a lie. It's either Jesus or irrationality. It's either Jesus or absurdity. And we're called, Ephesians six fourteen to stand, stand in warfare, therefore fastening on the belt of truth. We need to seek truth. With everything we are, we need to seek truth. We need to open up God's word because that's where truth is found and, and learn it and study it and teach each other and sing it and pray it. We need to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. What's that mean? We take thoughts that are lies that are in our head. If we just go on default mode, we have all types of lies that pop up in our head, and we need to take them captive. That's war language. We need to take them captive and replace them with the truth. And the only way you can do that is if you know the truth. It's called the fasten the belt of truth. What is truth? God is truth. God is truth. It's what corresponds with reality, which is what we see in the Word of God, which is the self-expression of God. God is truth. Second question I want to answer this morning is, what are the schemes of Satan today? We looked at the schemes of Satan last week. We said that the battleground for spiritual warfare is the mind. The battleground for spiritual warfare is the mind. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, that he, he is good, that he's, he's on our team, that he wants, wants what's good, and he deceives us. Satan's schemes are to attack the mind. He attacks truth with lies. That's why he's called the father of lies. That's why he's just called the liar. He distorts the truth. Satan's weapons are lies, false teachings, false ideologies. In fact, Ephesians 2.2 2 says Satan is the prince of power of the air. In other words, his lies just fill the air of this world. First Timothy 1.4 says this, Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Deceitful spirits. These, these false ideologies are called spirits here, or deceitful spirits and teaching of Demons. Deceitful spirits, teachings of demons, this is Satan's weapons. They're false teachings, false ideologies. Paul just calls them spirits, deceitful spirits. In fact, John does the same thing in 1 John 4.1. John just calls the false teachers or or the false teaching that's spreading through the church spirits. He says in 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. He's talking about the Gnostic heresy that's a false teaching, it's a false ideology, and he calls it a spirit. Because it comes from demons. 2 Corinthians 10.3, again, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not raging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's war language, destroying, destroying strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive, again, war language, to obey Christ. The mind, our thoughts, is the battleground of spiritual warfare. That's why we need truth. Colossians 2.8 says this, see to it that no one takes you captive. What's that? War language. A captive of war. See that you don't become a prisoner of war. How? By philosophies of an empty deceit. By false teachings and false ideologies, according to human traditions, according to the elementary spirits. Again, Paul calls false teaching spirits because they come from demons of the world and not according to Christ. The mind is the battleground for spiritual warfare. The devil's weapons of mass destruction are lies, false teachings, false religions, false ideologies, and we fight his lies with truth. With truth. I want to switch gears this morning. Titus 1, 9 i I've said this before, it tells me what my job is or my calling is as a pastor, and it's really two things. Titus 1.9 says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. I'm to give instruction in in sound doctrine, which is truth. I'm to proclaim truth, to teach truth as a a pastor. I'm called to teach this. And also, here's the other thing I'm called to do, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I'm called to teach sound doctrine and to rebuke those False ideologies, even false teachers by name who contradict it. That's my calling. So I want to switch gears this morning and do my best to explain a false ideology I believe will destroy anything it touches. A false ideology that I believe is straight from Satan. A major threat to the church. The bell worship of today this false ideology has been called many things. I've talked about it before intersectionality, critical theory, critical race theory, applied postmodernism. But probably the most popular name right now is the social justice movement. I want to expose this false ideology this morning. Listen, we live in a postmodern society that I believe is morphing into something else before our eyes. I think many of you feel it, but can't put your finger on it. I'm not a prophet, but I think 2020 will be etched into history. Not because of the virus. Not because of this election. But because there's a cultural shift that's happening right now. Side note. This election is not going to stop it. Don't put your hope in an election. Only God can stop it. Listen, only the weapons of spiritual warfare can slow it down. Only truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ are weapons, not an election. If you have your hope in an election, you have your hope in the wrong spot. We are moving away from a postmodern culture to something else. So what is postmodernism? I think we need to define this. Well, it's not modernism. It's actually hard to nail down. It's defined by what it's not. It doesn't have a name. It's past modernism. It's on the other side of modernism. That's what it's saying. It's past or post-modernism. So what's modernism? We need to need understand modernism to help us define post-modernism. Well, modernism can really be summed up in the ideas of the enlightenment. Right? Very simplistically, the, the modern society abandoned God, the church, and revelation and embraced reason as the ultimate standard of truth. Man's own autonomous reasoning away from God gets to truth. In the Enlightenment, mankind as a whole became the standard of truth, not God. Man's reasoning became the ultimate authority, not God. And there was a lot of hope in man's reasoning in the Enlightenment. In fact, the Enlightenment was this positive, optimistic movement. Man thought, that, that man was great. And man's reason would solve all the world's problems. I mean, just think about it. The 17th and 18th centuries were were pretty amazing centuries. There was, modern society was seeing science and technology just booming, the exploration of the world, new medicine was being developed, the Industrial Revolution, the founding of America, this, this country that brought freedom, liberty, and, and happiness. Modernism was this very positive. People had a, unito- or a utopian hope that there'd be no more sickness through modern medicine. No more wars because of man's reason. If we just educate people, they'll stop fighting each other. Reason became the savior of man, but reason is a horrible God. And reason by itself will not get you to truth. In 1914, World War I hit, and it crippled this positivism. It didn't destroy it. There's still a lot of hope in man's reason. In fact, World War I is called the war to end all wars. It's not just because of how bad that war was. It was called that because there was still a lot of hope that man's reason would end all wars. That World War I would be the last war ever on a global scale. And World War II came out and completely demolished all positivism. The 20th century was the bloodiest century ever. Western civilization became a pessimistic culture, a skeptical culture, a radically skeptical culture, skeptical of everything, skepticism of authority, the anti-authority movement, skepticism of patriotism, of love of, of country, skepticism of religion, skepticism of moral norms. We saw the sexual revolution and the drug culture of the 60s and 70s. But more than anything else, there was a skepticism of objective truth. Remember, modernists thought reason science would be man's savior. Wealth, health, and prosperity, a utopia would come through reason and science. Instead, reason and science brought us the bloodiest century ever, brought us the A-bomb, the ability just to destroy everyone and everything. The carnage of the 20th century hurled us into a post- Modernity. There's a major culture shift that happened in the middle of the 20th century. We became a postmodern culture. So, what's postmodernism? It's pessimistic by nature, it's skeptical by nature, radical skepticism of all truth claims. In fact, if you make a truth claim, an uh, uh, objective truth claim that's seen as arrogant, It says there's nothing outside of us that defines us. Again, that's why it has no definition. It's defined by what it's not. It doesn't have a name. Very simplistically, I know this is deep philosophy, but a modern society says truth is out there. It's objective. And it corresponds with reality. We just need to find it. A postmodern society says tr- truth is subjected to the individual. It's in here. And it doesn't have to correspond with reality. It can be opposite of what reality is. Therefore, truth is subjective. It's relative to the individual. In a postmodern society, there is no objective truth. To claim that something is objectively true is arrogant in a postmodern society. Listen. There is no way society can survive without objective truth claims. It was only a matter of time before postmodernism fell apart. Societies need a foundation, they need definitions, societies need truth claims, they need a meta narrative, they need a worldview. They need something outside of us to define us. Postmodernism really left a vacuum, a vacuum that needed to be filled. And here's where critical theory has come in. We are seeing a shift from a postmodern society to something else. What is critical theory? It's an ideology. It's an anti Christian ideology. I'm going to be clear on that. It's a meta narrative, it's a comprehensive worldview, a way of viewing the world. It's a form of postmodernism, but it's not postmodernism, it's something different. It's different than postmodernism. Critical theory has definitions. Critical theory has objective truth claims that are absolute. Critical theory has morality that's not relative. It has moral claims that are absolute. It has its own epistemology, way of determining truth. It's a comprehensive worldview, and it's way too much to explain right now. We'll be talking more as we go through the armor of God. But I want to give the basic idea of what critical theory is. The basic idea, the most foundational idea is critical theory is that it sees everything through a single lens. There's one overarching objective truth claim, a dialectic of power, a power struggle. There are those that are in power and those that are oppressed. It sees everything in this lens. Those that are in power, namely white, cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied, males, and those that aren't in power, everyone else that have been oppressed. Everything is seen through this lens in critical theory. Everything is a power struggle between groups. That's an important word. Not between races. Between, between groups. It's an overarching truth that defines everything. Either you are oppressor or oppressed. Victimizer or victim. And it's not depending on what you have done in your life. It's depending purely on what group you are a part of. And you can't escape this reality. How do you know what group you are in? Well, this is where intersectionality comes in. Intersectionality is a tool to help people identify what group they belong to, how how oppressed you are as a person. There's three main intersections of oppression, three main groups that have been oppressed. The first one is race. We see the Black Lives Matter movement come out of this. The second one is gender. We've seen the Me Too movement come out of this, or radical feminism. The third one is the LBG or LGBTQ plus. We've seen all types of activism come out of this one. Those are the three three main groups, three main intersections of oppression. In this world world worldview, your identity is found in being a victim. It's victimhood identity. Victimhood is what defines us. If you're a minority, that's your primary identity, more than anything else, more than being human. This is where it's completely different than the, the civil rights movement of the 60s. Civil rights movement said we had a common humanity before I am anything else. This movement says I'm a minority and oppressed before I'm anything else. There's nothing that connects us besides this power struggle. If you're a minority, your primary identity is, is, is being a minority and you've been victimized by racism. If you're a minority and a woman, you've been victimized two ways, men and racism. If you're a minority and a woman that's homosexual, you've been victimized three ways. If you are a minority and a woman that's homosexual and overweight, you've been victimized four ways. If you're a minority and a woman that is homosexual, overweight, and disabled, you've been victimized five ways, and it just keeps going. Your identity has to do with the victim group you're a part of, not race group. Why? Because women aren't a race. In fact, they're not even a minority. They're a majority. LGBTQ plus is not a race. This doesn't have to do with racism. Racism. Your victim group identifies you more than anything else. Why do I bring this up? Not because of politics. I want to make that clear. Again, our hope is not in an election. I bring this up because this worldview, this false ideology that I believe is straight from Satan is creeping into the church. It's the bell worship of today. It's slowly creeping in like cancer and it destroys. I'm seeing it everywhere. Everywhere. I believe today's bell worship is this false religion of critical theory that says your identity is not found in Christ, not found in being an image-bearer of God. Your identity is found in the oppressed group you belong to. It's a lie from Satan, and it's an attack on truth. I think it's the biggest threat we've seen come against the church since theological liberalism of the 18th century that wiped out the church. Second Corinthians ten four says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lawfully opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Captive, war language. That's war language. We take lies captive, lies from Satan captive, and we replace them with truth. We fight against the devil's schemes with truth. And so that leads us to our third point this morning. What is the truth? What is the truth? I have six truths we need to hold on to to battle against this false ideology. This false ideology of critical theory, intersectionality, and the social justice movement. By the way, they redefine that word justice. It's not biblical justice. It's not justice. They hijacked that word First truth is this. It's a truth about truth. Truth comes from scripture, not personal experience or group experience. Truth comes from scripture. Right? This worldview, this false worldview believes that knowledge and truth comes from group experience. Not reason, not empirical observation, not science, not revelation. In fact, this worldview claims that reason and science are tools of oppression heard a teacher in Washington recently say two plus two equals four is a way white Europeans have oppressed minorities. You laugh. She truly believes it. It's a belief that is taking over the university systems. It's a belief that is creeping into the church. It has a name. It's called standpoint epistemology if you want to look it up. Our ultimate standard of truth comes from group experience and it's absolute and ultimate and you can't question it. But what have we learned, right? Truth is God. God is truth. Truth comes from God. Truth comes from His Word. Experience is helpful Just like reason is helpful, and empirical observation, which is your five senses, is helpful, but revelation is the ultimate standard of truth. Revelation is our ultimate authority. God's word is truth. The second truth we need to hold on to. Racism is evil. Racism is evil. Listen, this false worldview will make race relations in our country worse. Much worse. You can't make everything about race. You can't look at everything as a power structure, struggle between groups and expect race relations to get better. It's not going to happen. And as racial tensions get worse, as we're seeing them right now in our culture, we need to remember that racism is a horrible evil. That's because of a biblical worldview. Racism is evil. There's two reasons why racism is evil. We all come from Adam, meaning there's only really one race, the human race. We're all brothers and sisters, and cousins, and distant cousins. Second reason, we're all made in the image of God. I don't care what ethnicity you are, you're made in the image of God, and you're valuable. These are transcendent truths that connect us. Again, fundamental difference between the Civil Rights Movement and what's happening today is the Civil Rights Movement that said these truths connect us. What's happening today says there's just a power struggle. That's what connects us. It'll lead to more race tensions. If you're a Christian, it does not matter what ethnicity you are. You are a brother in Christ. Listen, racism is a horrible evil, and the church needs to model unity. The church needs to model, you know, we need to point people to the gospel as a means of unity. We need to be an example of unity to a culture that's falling apart, a culture that's embracing hate more and more and more. A third truth we need to hold on to there are differences between men and women. <laughs> The egalitarian movement is a major threat to the church. God has made men and women differently. Therefore, men and women are different. They're different. They're different biologically. Should be obvious, not in our culture. They have been given different roles, different roles within the church, within within the family. They've been given different authorities, and, and this should be celebrated. Because they're meant to complement each other. A man and woman are meant to complement each other. And our difference is image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our difference in our, our, our unity, especially in marriage, image is God. Men and women are different, yet are equal in value and worth. Both made in the image of God. Third truth we need to hold on to homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin. I I, want to be clear this is where this movement's going. It's not just me, it's people behind the social justice movement. That's what they say. They're not hiding this fact. If you read any critical race theory or critical theory or social justice advocate, this is exactly what they will say. Read Black Lives Matter's beliefs and, and mission statement. They say if you don't affirm, celebrate, and advocate for homosexuality and transgenderism, you're not welcome. We can't put one foot in and say we're only going this far. Homosexuality is a sin. The Bible is clear on this. Romans 1, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural, there's that word, exchange. natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Now again, I want to be clear on this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning homosexuals aren't our enemies. We need to be clear on that. They're our mission field. They've been deceived. Listen, our hearts should break for them. If you have a son or daughter that's a homosexual, and there is a lot of you in this church, love on them love them show them that they're not the enemy love them but but love them by telling them truth i'm going to say this and I, I say this a lot but truth without love is harsh if you just go around spouting truth and you don't love the person that's harsh truth without love is harsh love without truth is not love you're not loving someone by hiding the truth Sixth and final, and I think the most important truth we need to hold on to as Christian is that your identity is being in Christ, not being a victim. Your identity is being in Christ, not being a victim. The scriptures teach something radically different than intersectionality and victimhood identity. And I've preached many sermons on this recently, and as a matter of fact, all these truths I've been preaching on because I knew these were the truths we needed to hold on to to fight against this false ideology. There's only two identities that matter when it comes to mankind. Those that aren't saved, dead in trespasses and sins. And those that are saved, made alive in Christ. Those are the two overarching identities. They're the only ones that matter in this world. I'm not saying there isn't victims out there. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love people that have been abused. Take care of them and and weep with them. Have been been through some hard circumstance, but you're not identified by that circumstance. You're not identified by that abuse. You're a Christian. You're identified by being in Christ. So we need to hold on to these six truths. We need to fasten the belt of truth. Truth comes from Scripture, not experience. Racism is evil. Men and women are made differently. They are different. Homosexuality is a sin. Your identity is being in Christ, not being a victim. We need to fasten the belt of truth. Second Corinthians 10.4 again says, for, we, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lawfully opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. We fight against false ideologies with truth. We need to be proclaimers and livers of truth. We need to point people to Christ, who is the truth, and to the gospel, and to the salvation. That's being offered Culture is changing around us and I'm sad to see churches adopting these ideologies and Organizations that claim to be christian But we need to be thinking through these things clearly And we need to war against the schemes of the devil with truth Let's pray Dear and father god Lord, I just pray for our church, Lord. I pray that you protect us through this time, God, that, that each individual puts on the armor of God, Lord, that we seek truth, Lord. The schemes of the devil, Lord, false ideologies are rampant right now, and we're seeing the results of it as we see riots on the streets, destruction, Help the church, Lord, to be unified. God, help us to be a light on a hill, Lord, that people see us and they they see truth, Lord. They see truth lived out in how we love one another, Lord. That we proclaim truth, Lord. That we don't fall for the, the schemes of the devil, Lord. I just think of how sneaky he is using racism and words like justice to try to trap us into a false ideology. Be with us as a church. In your son's name. Amen.